This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Mr. Kwonga. Free Woj. <laughs> and there's Ryan. There's Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? Revolutionary mood. You're in revolutionary mood. Um, Woj really didn't want to go to Florida. <laughs> yeah, so, so for those who are unaware, one of the leading writers for ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, was copied on an email from a group of senior US politicians who were basically talking about the kinds of slogans that NBA players should wear on their jerseys in criticism of China. And he basically replied saying, well, with fairly salty language. Say it, say it. No, I, I don't do that. Say it. So he swore at the US Senator and as a result was suspended from ESPN, a previous employer of mine. So solidarity with Woj because it's never nice to be suspended. Yeah. So how have you been apart from supporting your, your friend in arms, Woj? I've never met Woj. I follow him on Twitter like the billions of other people. He's kind of like a David Ornstein of... Yeah, basically Ornstein is like Woj, but for football. How was your weekend anyway? Uh, my weekend was very good. My weekend was very good indeed. I spent a lot of time with Fabian. Shout out to Fabian, a former teammate of mine who played for the Unicorns uh, down the road. I then got a bit of writing done, which was good. Um, and then I watched quite a lot of football, which was also nice. good. Well, actually, no, the football wasn't that good because Juventus did what Juventus always do, but we'll get, we'll get to that in a moment. So many pens. Yeah, true, true. Oh, too many pens. Too many pens. Too many pens. We need some more goals in here. We need <laughs> We're so esoteric today. Oh my God. Sorry for all these lecture references. Okay, just before we get going, some admin. So we didn't win the British Podcast Awards Listener's Choice Award. And that's on me. I obviously didn't push my agenda hard enough. <laughs> I'm not cut out for, for such propaganda. I just like talking about football with the occasional... I don't know. Weird reference. Thanks to everyone who did vote. Uh, this isn't on you. This is very much on me. And uh, I will obviously have to sit down with the board and the chairman and assess my future at the stadio because of this. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it was fun. It was fun. While, you know, we tried our best and, you know, it's just maybe with a few more signings and a bit more depth next season, we can grow the podcast. <laughs> Maybe the brand, maybe the brand's not big enough yet, but it's all good. We persevere. We hey, persevere. it's all good. It's all good. Another bit of admin: we did our first studio session since we moved the podcast to the Ringer last Friday. It was a two-hour soul session, well, soul and disco, with bits of football commentary in between. It was the first studio sessions we've done for a couple of months. It was super fun. So thanks to everyone who tuned in. If you want to listen back to it, it's on mixlr.com forward slash studio, and you'll find the show reel. You can listen to all of the past ones. It's got the track list in. We went into extra time as well. So it was like two hours and 20 minutes or something. Any more admin? Oh yeah, stadio.bandcamp.com. If you want to buy the theme music, please go and buy it. It's available for three euros or pay what you like. And we're donating all the money, all of the infos on there. And I think that's all the, is that all the admin? 
I think that's what it is so far. Yeah. 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 All right. Football. Well, courtroom football. Is there that much to say on this? Maybe, maybe not. Well, we did a podcast on it in February. Yeah. When UEFA initially implemented the ban and the fine. Yeah. So just to recap, UEFA banned Manchester City from European competition for two years. And they also issued a fine of, was it 30 million euros for breach of the financial fair play regulations, which were brought in, and this is the crucial point, they were brought in to stop clubs spending by their means and thereby falling into financial peril. So the main objective of these regulations was to stop clubs basically going in default, which I think is an issue which is in sharp relief with the pandemic and so on. We see that clubs have been endangered just because their cash flow isn't what it is. And the Premier League actually in particular has had a debt problem for a long time. I think there was an amazing stat a few years ago that um, something like 50% of the Premier League's clubs are responsible for like a huge percentage of like the entire debt of all of Europe. Like it was just unbelievable stat. So that's the context in which the rules are created. And um, Manchester City were found by UEFA to have breached these rules by overspending because they spent a lot of money. Um, and the way it works is you've got to spend within your means over the course of three years, for a period of three years. You've all, if you spend a lot of money in year one, you've got to make it up by year three in income. And City were found to have breached that by UEFA. And the verdict, the Court for Arbitration of Sport, was basically re- released this morning and that verdict was overturned. Shall I read the media release that the yeah, sure, sure. Uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport put out? So they said that Manchester City did not disguise equity funding as sponsorship contributions, but did fail to cooperate with the UEFA authorities. So the CAS decision, exclusion from participation in UEFA club competitions, lifted, fine maintained, but reduced to 10 million euros. So the long and the short of it is that initially Manchester City were found guilty of disguising basically just sugar daddy as sponsorship deals. Some of it is, what's the word? Is it time barred? I think the term they use where basically it could have happened, but the amount of time that's gone is too long for them to find them guilty of it. What they're suggesting is that Manchester City aren't innocent here. There just isn't enough sufficient evidence that they can legally uphold the ban in their view. Yeah. Which is not a massively left field decision. I don't think, because to ban a club like Manchester City now for two years from European competition is kind of unprecedented, right? Yeah, it would have been a bold thing to do. And no one expected it to happen. I mean, no one that I know expected it to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought maybe it might go to one year, but I think that one year was probably the most that people would have expected. Whilst financial fair play, I think, came from a good place, weirdly, mm. and it has done a lot of good, I think it has checked cl- a certain amount of clubs and stopped them from going completely wild on, on expenditure. However, as time's going on, I mean, it's been here, what, over a decade now? Right. It's now cemented those people at the very top with the highest amount of revenues because clubs with smaller revenues, with FFP, they're never going to be able to get to the point where they can properly contend over a sustained period because they just can't generate the revenue. I think what it has done is that it's, it's another, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it's, it's like another nail in the FFP coffin. Now you have to kind of question why it's there. Its initial goal has been fulfilled to a certain degree. However, when clubs do violate the rules, there is very little fallout. Yeah, I think that, I mean, how, how do you make clubs compete on a level playing field? I mean, you don't for a start because clubs have fan bases of different sizes. Um, you'll never have a Heidenheim competing on the scale of a of a Schalke. This won't happen because one club. I mean, you might do soon. You never know. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but in terms of like you know fan bases, and so I just think that you know maybe there are different ways. Um, they've been discussed as well. Different ways to get clubs higher up the pyramid, and I suppose the only thing I would say at this point is I'm just relieved that a lot of these clubs are still going. I'm like stepping mm. back from it all. No, no one I know expected any kind of ban to be upheld. And even, even the comment on the kind of the size of the fine that City receive, you know, like 10 million would really, really hurt a different club who'd fallen foul of financial fair play. So even the size of the fine, I'm not necessarily criticising because like 10 million would really hurt, for example, a Sheffield United. And that would be a fine on top of 
a ban from competitions to be like a double penalty, really. So I'm not even that exercised about the size of the fine that people have been criticising. I just think, yeah, like, I wonder that what it's there for in a way. And e- even the kind of legal decision about how these claims weren't filed in time, it was five years, so they're in breach. I just thought, well, that, that seems a bit wishy-washy. Like, you know, I, I studied law and there's like a six-year period on breaches relating to contract, like six years. So five years is even quite short. So even that is a quite light restriction. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, to me, I wasn't expecting any different. I don't even know that was. And the issue of, you know, City, and it's not just about City, like City and Manchester United, the issue of Manchester United and City's financial dominance of football and Barcelona, that's a separate issue. I'm not sure how you address that, mm-hmm. to be honest. But a lot of those clubs will simply say, yeah, but we're just better commercial and we've got bigger fan bases and that's why we're as big as we are. But no one can argue that this continued dominance is good for football. Like I had a moment when I was watching Atalanta and Juventus just thinking, it is ridiculous how much depth these clubs have. And it's amazing that Atalanta are even competing. I was reading this great piece by James Horncastle on Atalanta, on The Athletic. It's a great, great piece. He's interviewing, I think, Martin Darun. And the guy goes, someone says, oh, like Atalanta should be competing for the title. And he said, We've got the 13th, yeah. 13th highest salary base, yeah. 13th in Serie A. Like we shouldn't even, this shouldn't even be here. Shouldn't be happening. Mm. Juventus should be winning by default, which they are. And they didn't have a decent chance apart from the two penalties. They didn't have it. Juventus didn't generate anything from open play apart from Dybala hitting it wide. It's incredible that it's even that close in Serie A. Mm. I don't know what we do about the financial dominance, but FFP isn't the way. And maybe it was never intended. Well, this is the thing. It was never intended to be the way. I, I think basically the issue is bigger than Manchester City. It's bigger than FFP and it's actually bigger than UEFA. What we're seeing now are multiple examples of football's inability to check itself early enough. Right. Yeah. And the problem is that when it gets to this point, it's really hard to fix. You're seeing it with the Bundesliga, prime example, Bayern's sustained dominance, the first time they've ever won that many in a row. Juventus, their dominance, a certain amount of clubs within the Premier League, PSG in France, Barcelona and Real Madrid in Spain. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, if I'm being honest, man, I don't really have a, a massively hot take about this. I just think, again, I think it's just a real shame. I think it's mm. a shame that we're in a position that football is... Uh, I don't want to sound super down on this, but I just kind of, I kind of worry where, where next because, and that was literally the, the, the name of our podcast that we did on Man City that time is called What Next? This case has raised more questions. It doesn't feel like the end. You know, this isn't a case closed anymore, actually. It's going to kickstart a chain of events that I think could potentially cause quite seismic events through European football over the next few years. I wonder how soon we get a Super League. Only because... If I look at like Juventus and Bayern winning, 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 I look at Spain, you know, Barca, Real, virtually divided between themselves each season. I just wonder if and when we get that breakaway, if in the next 10 years we see it. It's kind of embarrassing for UEFA as well. What does that do to their power? Yeah, massively. I mean, you could you could tell in their statement when they said, you know, we will be making no further statements on it. That I think this is this is really going to shit them up. But again, I have I don't have any sympathy for UEFA because they've allowed this to happen. The way that they've made changes to European football, the way that they've made changes to the Champions League, the way that they've dicked around, got rid of the Cup Winners' Cup, expanded the Europa League, well, rebranded the UEFA Cup to the Europa League. This is on them as well. And this is what I was saying before about how this isn't just something that's happened in the last six months. This has been something that has been building and building and building, which is why I find it very difficult to nail down an absolute stance on it in a way, because there are multiple points down the road where something could have been put in place that could have uh, changed the course of European football history. Turning but no the one wanted it because League. of greed, Musa. It's greed, ultimately. Yep. The thing underneath it is greed. Turning the Champions League into the golden goose with the places for the top four, which I didn't like at the time because you could see that was going to lead, but they immediately devalued the worth of domestic competitions. Mm-hmm. It gave everyone these skewed incentives. 
you take away the knockout of the, of the European Cup and turn it to group stages. You know, you turn the Champions League into a golden goose. That was the problem, mm. really, if we're going to be honest about it. At one point, the Champions League was so greedy, you had two straight group stages. And that was just too many. Everyone complained of fixture pileup and they took it back to like one group stage, then knockout. So they really tried to squeeze it for as much as they could. And, you know, if you turn something to a golden goose, it attracts big capital. It attracts sovereign, you know, sovereign states. It's just what happens. And if you create something like that and it falls out of your control, they're trying to claw it back with these regulations. Well, I don't know, guys. You could have seen this coming and people warned them. People always warn them. There's never a shortage, not to draw too many political analogies, but the people howling on social media about, oh, I can't believe this politician behaved like this. And I'm like, yeah, you should have known because the last 40 years of their existence has shown you exactly what was coming. And the last however many years the Champions League has shown exactly what was coming. None of this is new. Yeah, I think we've covered this before. I think we might have even done it on that podcast, but like you say, the expansion of the Champions League. I think the key thing for sporting competition is variety. All of this has led to domestic dominance on the whole and European dominance in terms of a select group of clubs. And it's going to be really hard to undo now. And I, I do wonder if actually it's a complete kind of contradiction, almost maybe the best thing for sporting competition within European football now is just to completely take the financial restrictions off and just let people go wild. The only reason I disagree with that this is a bit like getting rid of rent controls in a city. Yeah, I agree. But that's kind of my point, right? It's kind of, how bad has it got to get before you actually think, well, maybe just let people do what they want. Because they'll always go to the wall. Yeah. I know what you mean, but the problem is this. The problem is that if you raise standards like that, then everything becomes too expensive. Like, for example, like you have tournaments all over the world, for example, because everything's unregulated now. Mm. And then clubs can't afford to travel to games. They can't afford like the squad depth they need to cover mm. all the fixtures. Do you know I, mean? I know what you mean. It's always tempting to be like, let's take all the shackles off, but those organisations that enjoy those inequalities, those benefits as inequalities. They're just going to exploit them more. Yeah, they will. They will. I mean, there, 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 are things, there are things, we can, we'll probably stop there, but there are things that can be done mm. and we're always open to, I mean, we get loads of stuff anyway. We always get some great reading about this stuff. There are things that can be done, but they require, I think it's a governmental level now, unfortunately. Like it's actually it's almost too big for football to fix by itself. Yeah, I mean, when you have the <laughs> the governing body punishing a side for seemingly massive violation and then cast turning it over, it's going to be problematic. Yeah. All right, uh, let's maybe take a break there. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back from the break, we have to talk about... Uh, about the North London derby. I felt like, and I said this, I think, maybe on Twitter as well, there were like preordained results, pure preordained results. There were three preordained results this weekend. There was Atleti winning 1-0 at home with 10 men. <laughs> there was Juventus scraping a draw, despite having no decent attempts on goal apart from one, really with two late penalties and two goals from Cristiano Ronaldo against a vastly superior Atlanta team. And then there was the North London derby, which you could not... If you got a million supercomputers and you fed in data, mm -hmm. they could not have come in, they could not have come up with a result more fiendish than a 2-1 defeat for Arsenal to Jose Mourinho's Spurs. I mean, it's just... You knew it was coming, didn't you? It's like that drill entering your jaw for 90 minutes and you just got to sit there and just, you know, wait for the dentist to finish their work. And that's what Arsenal need. Arsenal need root canal surgery. If you look at that opening goal that they conceded, so they scored through Lacazette, beautiful strike. 
and this is again my frustration with Arsenal because two of the best attackers in world football being squandered because the rest of the squad is not good enough. Kolasinac passing back to Luis and Luis getting actually an unfair amount of criticism because you could argue he could stop Son going through, but he could only really have stopped him by professional foul because Son's just a bit quicker. It's yeah, well, really, can you imagine if Luis had got another red? It was, so unfair, it was so unfair. I mean, it was a really bad pass from Kolasinac. It was terrible. And that put Luis in trouble. And I saw people on Twitter going, oh my God, David Luis again. I said, no, it's too easy. It's too easy. Mm. This is Kolasinac's fault. And the worst thing was that the game management was so poor. You go a goal up and you keep the damn ball. You enjoy leading. In a derby, you go a goal up. The other team is anxious because it's a derby. Their senses are heightened. You can actually put the ball out of the pitch and try and get another one or just keep possession. But Arsenal didn't do that. They couldn't do that. And the worst thing was, he didn't expect them to do that. And Arteta's problem is he doesn't have the pieces yet. He doesn't have all the pieces to play the football he wants. And you see it in patches with Arsenal. You see what he's trying to do and you're like, I get it. Actually, weirdly enough, to Solskjaer's credit over at Manchester United, you can see now what Solskjaer was trying to achieve. And you can see now why Solskjaer wasn't that sad about losing Lukaku because as we've seen so often in European football, unless you're a truly elite number nine, I mean, when I say elite, I mean like one of the top three in the world and Lukaku is very, very good, but he's not top three number nines in the world. Unless you are a truly elite number nine, you're easy to isolate. Look at like Valt Weghorst at Wolfsburg, great player. He scores those goals, but the rest of his team don't because he's easy to isolate. And I, was, I could see that Solskjaer is really happy to lose Lukaku because then he can play with a fluid front three. And you can see that Arteta is happy to have certain pieces at Arsenal because he gets the fluidity he wants. And the really sad thing with Arsenal right now is we're, te- we're seeing a team like 40% built. Mm. And we, we get to enjoy Arsenal for 40% of their matches. And what's great is superb. And the other 60 is like, ah, this is the gum disease. Like this is the work in progress. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that with the Kalasinac thing, this is there have been a few times this season where Arsenal have really missed Nacho Monreal. Weirdly, yep. he was he was always he was always a great player. Weirdly, I thought that Emi Martinez has been really impressive for Arsenal since he's come in for Ben Leno. I may be nitpicking here a little bit, but this is the first time I think probably maybe bar some distribution stuff. Although I don't think Martinez is that bad. This is a, an instance where I think you notice Leno is not there because Martinez goes down really early and quite obviously here. And one key factor about Leno, which I think he doesn't get enough credit for, is how late he, he goes to ground. He stays very upright for quite a while. And this is probably a little bit harsh on Martinez because I do think he's been really, really impressive since he's come in. I suppose what I would say is with, with, with Son going through, he still had a lot to do. And I think the thing is with anything, it's like... It was a great finish. It's like when you're playing tennis though, like make them work for the, for the winner. Like don't make yeah. them hit, don't let them hit it a foot within the tram lines. Make them hit the, make them hit the chalk. Mm. And I think as a goalkeeper, you want to make them, you know, there's those free kicks that go off, they go, the free kick, I think Cincinnati got one at the weekend that goes on off the inside of the post. You yeah, want a amazing. free kick, you want, if it goes off the inside of the post, then do you know what? Like fair play. And to Martinez's credit, he stopped an astonishing strike from distance. Oh, that one that he flicked onto the bar from, um, that. Ben Davis, right? That was an otherworldly save, actually. That he got even a thumb to that. So yeah, he's got obviously. We know he has the chops, as you rightly say. But it's a really interesting nuance to pick up in goalkeeping. I think you know these are the margins that make the difference. That is one thing that Burnt Leno is really, really good at is is delaying when he goes to ground. But I mean, ultimately, Arsenal. I mean, they had what seventy percent possession in the second half. I understand that the focus will be on Arsenal's defending. But I think that Arsenal really suffer from a lack of goals and a lack of creativity, which is probably understandable when you have someone like Meza Ozil missing, who, despite the criticism that he gets, is still quite key in Arsenal's creative play. Kyle Saka started on the bench, probably a little bit unfortunate, but I could understand why. Arsenal really do miss some drive from central midfield areas and some creativity in the final third. Too much of it goes on Aubameyang to score and to provide often. And when Saka's not there, I think that Arsenal do miss something. And that's weird to place on a kid that young. In an ideal world, Saka comes into a team which is, you know, I meant like Van Persie when Arsenal were really good. He was doing those cameos at first. 
he was just coming in and you were like, whoa, and he was lighting things up and disappearing again. And the sad thing, the thing that worries me about Saka is the excitement of a new contract will curdle over the next few months as it inevitably does, because after a while, it's like when a politician comes into office, everyone's really excited, they get like a really good result. And then after a certain point, it's like, this is your government now. Mm. And like Saka's going to be at a point with Arsenal, it's like, okay, this is your government now. We still haven't improved. Oh, but I'm young. Doesn't matter. Mm. It's your, and that, I, I just really worry for him that the excuses are going to run out, which is why Florian Neuhaus needs to come to Gladbach, from Gladbach to the Champions No, sorry. <laughs> Florian Neuhaus going to Arsenal. Sorry to plunder Gladbach's team because they're so amazing. Yeah, leave him play- alone. What's everyone going after Gladbach players for? You were, you were but wouldn't he doing be the Sakaria chat to Manchester United last week and then they but shut that down. I think Gladbach listened to Stadio, you know. What, wouldn't Florian Neuhaus be amazing at Arsenal? He yeah, would. but so would Marcus Turam and so would like... No, no, but, no, but they don't need so Turam. So and so would like anyone. Like half of that like could probably walk into Arsenal's stuff. Yeah, but the, the player like that, players like that are at a premium right now. Those driving midfielders that can create that can orchestrate. I mean, you know, look what Bruno Fernandes has done for Manchester United. It's been extraordinary what he's done. It's almost like Arsenal let one of the best driving oh, no. creative midfielders go last season. Oh no. Oh, for no. free. Oh no. Let's not talk about that. Oh, Bring no. him home. Bring him home. So I'm sending out a little ASMR SOS. Bring Rambo home. All this is this podcast. You might think I'm an Arsenal fan. I loved Ramsey. I loved Ramsey. I, I still, still love him. He's an extraordinary player and he's actually what you need. Yep. Um, but let's, let's go to Spurs because this was a massive win for Spurs. They've leapfrogged Arsenal now in the league. And Mourinho, do you know what? He's got that like energy about him, Mourinho, who, okay. You know, like when in The Force Awakens, I'm going to do another Star Wars reference, fuck it, where they hide on the Falcon and then the door opens and it's actually Han Solo and Chewie. <laughs> Mourinho has that kind of like fallen <laughs> glory, now an intergalactic smuggler, still has the odd good battle left in him. Oh my gosh, this is bleak. This is really bleak. What? Why? Do you not think? Like, well, because no, everyone not, says, like, the amount of people who are just like, the amount of people who, you know, I was going to say, if Mourinho was an intergalactic smuggler, he'd probably owe a load of people a load of money, right? Yeah, but he feels you'd yeah. still, but he'd still come up with the goods in certain scenarios when you're like, ah, he's still got it, man. He's still got it. Do you know that's that's a brilliant analogy? Do you know why? Because I've been think, I've been thinking about it. Sorry, just to you remind me of that scene where like Lando Carissian, they see him and they're like, the first reaction is anger. It's like, yeah, you've got a nerve. You have got a nerve turning up here, like. And to be honest, I kind of identify with that character. <laughs> what Lando or Han? Lan- yeah Lando like and whenever they have those like movies like Star Wars whatever and, you know, who's the guy that um, uh, in the new Star Wars movies who, who's, who's, who's the guy who's the pilot in that oh Poe yeah Poe I, re- I relate to when Poe turns up on that like planet and that woman is like what the hell and then someone everyone's like there's obviously something went on here and like Poe is he looks ashamed and he never fully explains <laughs> he never explains what he did that dude that's like us doing the podcast every week you get on Google Hangout and I'm like you got a nerve showing up here <laughs> and then you're like oh, I've got to do the podcast I'm like oh yeah sorry let's just get through this <laughs> let's do it for the kids, for the kids what I've sake. been up to what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, okay. That, I love your analogy. Mourinho, the intergalactic smuggler who's got one last heist to pull. You know, no matter how, I don't know, how stubbly he gets or how much he doesn't really care, if you were going to put a team together for a job, he'd probably be in it somewhere. He would, he would, he would, absolutely. I mean, I've never been a huge Jose Mourinho fan for multiple reasons. But I think as a, as a coach... He does pop up with this stuff every now and again. Now I know it's a derby and therefore derbies are a bit of an anomaly anyway. It doesn't matter how good one side or the other is usually in a derby. It's, a, it's anything goes. But it was a big, big win that. I mean, after the, the few weeks that they've had, if they'd lost that game at home, I think he would have been in real trouble at Spurs. Mm. But not an amazingly exciting Spurs side got one over Arsenal again. And there was actually a question we had from Rich Newbold said, has any other manager enjoyed living in a club's head rent-free more than Jose and Arsenal? Tony Pulis. Um, I think Pulis and Mourinho have enjoyed it 
because they have been able to neutralize. I think it's the coaches that enjoy stopping you. I don't think anyone's, I think with the exception of Pulis, no one's enjoyed it more than Mourinho. I think that's a fair question. Mm. Although also Pulis's record at, at Arsenal was quite poor, but the home record was great. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's, yeah. I mean, there are, there are a lot of people who've had uh, real estate in the collective Arsenal head, but Mourinho is up there, definitely. I've just never seen a team so committed to the exquisite art of defeating itself. Like Arsenal? They're just, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's every, all teams lose, right? All teams must, all, all teams must die. But the manner of the Arsenal death, the manner of the Arsenal death is rivaled only by Dortmund. It's so exquisite. The downfall is so poetic, so beautiful. You know, United, we have our moments, we bomb out, but we tend to like, United's, Thing has been winning but making it the hardest possible way to win mm. so you look at United's trophy cabinet and be like oh my gosh this team must have steamroller teams and you watch it it's like no it's the dude that basted his homework at the last minute and then somehow like scraped to pass that's it and it looks really glorious and like, oh my god the trophy cabinet you're like then you see the person that won all the trophies and their fingernails are basically just bitten to the absolute quick <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, yeah. but yeah, weirdly after the game, I wasn't massively, I don't, I don't want to sound super blasé about football or fandom or whatever, but it just felt like a result that could have happened. It was a bit of a, yeah, this happens. And I know it happens quite a lot at Arsenal, but... The Premier League has kind of lost its centre of gravity at the moment because these two clubs aren't strong. Like a really strong Arsenal, a really strong Spurs. The North London derby is not, it's not our classica or Classico or Classica, but it is one of those fixtures that has to be strong for the league to be strong. At the moment, it's not strong. And I think a really damning indictment of the Premier League at the moment is the fact that this was not a fixture you looked at with that anticipation you normally do. I think this was the worst. This, this, I mean, the North London derby has been consistently the best fixture in the Premier League, I think, for about right. a decade now. Right. And I think that this was the worst. There will probably be other ones that I've forgotten, but I think that this was the the least anticipated and and maybe the lack of fans played a part in that but also the poor the neither side neither side has really got an identity at the moment these are very muddled sides in a very muddled league in a very muddled season and the whole game felt very muddled Aubameyang is one of the best art players one of the best strikers Arsenal ever had he doesn't belong in this era mm. when I see a great player in a team where the surrounding pieces aren't of the requisite quality to elevate that player to the level they deserve to be at. I always feel a bit sad and I see that so much with Spurs and Arsenal at the moment. And we talk about this fixture quite a lot today, but I think that's because it's significant because its implications are wider. Whatever league you support, there are always those fixtures where you're like every season, if that fixture is strong, the league is strong. Mm. And I'm not disrespecting the teams, you know, Liverpool have been amazing this year. For me, it's more like the kind of, I love it when the chase, the, the coaching this year, it's been amazing, right? The coaches are brilliant. I'm not even criticizing the coaches. I think this is actually one of those first seasons where I'm going to point my finger at the recruiters. I don't think I've ever come to a season where I've been like, the main failure this year was the sporting directors. But actually, if you look at the resources, the financial resources available and the pieces the coaches have been given, then I think that's a, that's a cause for concern. Yeah, a lot of clubs don't buy well. Yeah. But you mentioned coaches there. Yeah. We had a question from Patrick Hayes. Who are your shouts for Premier League manager of the season and why? I have one shout. Well, two actually. I mean, you're going to put Klopp in there because obviously Klopp is it's hard to argue when you've won the league with that much of a, of a lead. But Chris Wilder is my shout. Yeah, I think they're my top two. Yeah, without a doubt. And Amazing. Chris Wilder, Sheffield United beat Chelsea 3-0 on the weekend. Had a couple of Chelsea fans uh, unhappy with our Harvards chat last week. And let us know about it. Why is it? Because it's painful to look in the mirror or? Oh oh God. You don't have to deal with the emails that come to me. So you're just like (laughs) chucking in grenades (laughs) and let me pick up the mess. (laughs) It's always easy at these times to be like, oh, Chelsea did this and that wrong. But actually credit to Sheffield United. Mm. Such a beautifully coached team. And they find goals. They find goals. McGoldrick got a couple of goals at the weekend. Um, I think the top and tail uh, the first and the last against Chelsea. 
just beautifully coached. And it's so, it's just so great for Sheffield as a city, uh, as a club. That's a great club. I have a personal high regard for them because a very good friend of ours actually climbed uh, Mount Everest and they sponsored him for it, which is wonderful. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ian Toothill, the late great Ian Toothill was actually, so this is a quick shout. So Ian Toothill was a friend of ours. Uh, he passed away age 48 um, from cancer and he climbed Mount Everest with terminal cancer stage four. And a Sheffield United, <laughs> Sheffield United fan, a friend of his said, I'll sponsor you to get to the top, knowing he was a Wednesday fan, as long as you put a Sheffield United flag at the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> and Ian did it, even though he's a Wednesday fan. Wow. And after he passed away, the club, I think, gave a statement, which was beautiful. I mean, they just really were wonderful, Sheffield United. So shout out to them. Any United listeners we've got on the podcast, um, you know, Chris Wilde is an absolute gem and a credit to the club, and I'm glad they've done so well. It's exciting. I'm really glad they're staying up. It's so cool. I mean, so cool. I mean they, they, were, they were clearly staying up ages ago, yeah. but speaking of teams who might stay up now, Bournemouth beat Leicester 4-1. This whole league is a catfish, man. I swear to God. The defending like, in that game was horrifying from Leicester. Big for Dominic Solanke though. Two goals, first time in ages. They might get out of it. I mean, Watford beat Newcastle 2-1. Again, a bit of a weird result. West Ham beat Norwich 4-0, which sent Norwich down. Four goals for Michel Antonio. Um, let's wrap the Premier League. Let's take another break and then we're going to come back with some other stuff. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. We've got a question for Musa from Daniel Jude. Which god slash gods is Musa making animal sacrifices to? I can't tell you that. Um, because if I tell you that, then you will disturb the ritual. I can tell you the last ritual took place at the Teufelsberg which is the Devil's Mountain here in Berlin. Uh, the sacrifice was cupcakes. given willingly. Oh, if, it's, if it was willingly, it wouldn't be cupcakes. <laughs> the sacrifice was made and was given willingly and it's been so successful. I will reenact it in a different part of the forest that surrounds the city. That's all I'll say. But the sacrifice is being made. You take some green wood <laughs> to the god. <laughs> there is a pentagram involved. That's all I'll reveal. Okay. We kind of mentioned the Juve-Atalanta game. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere in Serie A, Napoli drew two all with Milan. That was a good game as well. Uh, Samp won again away at Udinese. So Samp are now rocketing up the table. They they actually went ahead of Udinese on the head-to-head. Six points clear of the relegation zone now. Samp after looking in big trouble for a while. Cadiz have been promoted to La Liga. First time in over 10 years. Be great to have them back. Great fans, great football club. To the US quickly, MLS, there are postponements all over the shop and rumours of more sides going home. That is changing so rapidly every day. I think we're going to see how that goes for the next episode. Check in with that. Same with the NWSL. That's, I think the first round of games is wrapping up this week. Oh, let's have a quick question. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a report saying that a professional footballer in the Premier League has come out as gay privately, but is unwilling to do so Publicly, right. I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah. Justin Fashioner Foundation have been handling it. Amal Fashioner, shout out to her. She's done a great job in just keeping mm. him safe from scrutiny. So we had a question from Ewan Lenhart who said, what's it going to take for professional male footballers across Europe to feel that they can come out safely? And that is a big, big question. Can I be honest? A better era. The world is not in a kind place. The world doesn't deserve. Whoever that player is, I would simply say, do whatever you have to do to be happy. Find mm. your support. The beauty of social media now, the beauty of that announcement, now a social media what it is, there'll be a ton of people in football, openly gay people, some are not openly gay, who will contact the foundation and be like, we can help, or they're in a position to do that. And that player does not have to feel so isolated now. There are people within football that can help him in a way they couldn't have before. So I would just say to that player, Focus on your happiness, focus on building your circle of people you can trust. And, you know, for God's sake, just look after your money, manage your assets. You'll be out of this game in a few years and the rest of your life is yours and just go and be happy. Like I know about players, you know, former players within football who've come out to their circle, to their partners, they've got wonderful lives. And it's really just about, you don't owe, I'll just say, you don't owe the public anything. You 
don't owe anyone oh. any. And I just want to, it's really, really important to say that. Like when I read that letter and read the statement about feeling isolated, I just thought you'll feel a lot less isolated once you've got people within football or more people than football that have your back. Mm-hmm. And that those networks are available to you. I said this on Twitter, I just put a small note just going like, I just hope he gets all the private support he needs because this world doesn't deserve him at this point. I hate to say it, but you look at like the kinds of people being targeted in the media right now. The thought of a gay footballer being the target of that, and don't get me wrong, I know there'd be overwhelming support. I know all of that. And everyone goes, oh my God, yeah, but the times have changed. Listen, like, hang on a fucking second, okay? I'm openly bisexual. I'm not a footballer. And I've had my fair share of bullshit over the years from people close to me, from people, whatever. And people will talk about, oh yeah, but there's been overwhelming support. You are not going to be that footballer getting those threats, that Instagram bullshit. You know, Wilfried Zaha received really specific racist abuse from someone who turned out to be 12 years old. But here's the thing, that person went into chat groups or whatever and got really carefully tailored memes they could share with Wilfried Zaha. And that kid is 12 years old and has already learned how to hate. Mm-hmm. And he'll unlearn it or he or, he or she has already learned, is it a boy, a 12 year old boy thing? I think it's a boy, a boy, yeah. Has already learned how to hate. And everyone can talk about, yeah, we'll come out and support you. It's not about you. It's not about the support that you offer. And I see people sometimes replying going, oh, Wilf, don't worry. Like, just ignore them. Focus on the good. No, like, focus on the bad. Focus on the bad. Focus on what is out there. Focus on the threats out there. And think to yourself, you've worked so hard to become a professional footballer. And you've got a limited number of years to maximize your earnings maximize your earnings and you be happy. You find your partner and the rest of us who are already out there like myself who are speaking out and allies of yours who care about gay people. We will do our best to make the world safer for people like you. And it may not be your generation, but our job, when I hear that, I'm like, we've failed as a society. We've failed and it's not on you to come and educate us. We have to go away and make it safer for people like you. So one day you go walking with your partner and you don't bat an eyelid I don't look over your shoulder. The responsibility is on us. This is one reason I'm out. This is one reason I speak out about my sexuality. Mm. Yeah, people might attack me for it, but so what? I don't care. Like, I'm here. Come at me. Like, I'm doing it so people who are not out yet feel safer because I know I can take mm. it. Yeah. So yeah, that's what that's my take on it. I I mean, last week, man, when we spoke about the was it was it the what if episode we did the uh, if women's football hadn't been banned, yeah, how yep. the world would look different. Very different. Yeah. This is the thing that I hope happens soon, but I think you are totally right where I don't think the world is in a kind place at the moment. On the whole, you know, I'm a straight white dude. The demographic that is prevalent throughout football in Europe, I cannot wait for football to get to a point where it's not news that there are openly gay footballers in the men's game because there are openly gay footballers in the women's game Mm. and it's not a thing. And I would love for football to get to that place. I'd love for sport to get to that place, but ultimately it needs society to get to that place. And whilst there have been, like you say, you know, multiple improvements in multiple areas, when you still have the amount of hate flying around on social media, because it's so easy to detach yourself from it. Mm. It's like, it's not really you. You're just typing some words and walking away. You don't have to look that person in the eye when you're saying that stuff. And, you know, we don't, I don't get anywhere near the amount of shit that you get from some people on social media, for example. But even then, like some people kind of occasionally say something that's a little bit, just a little bit mean. And that sounds really soft because ultimately it's totally minor. It's so unbelievably minor compared to the abuse that people have to go through. And I think it's just like, would you say that if you were right in front of that person? That person was sat down in front of you. Would you say that to them? No. So don't do it. Don't do it because you're behind a computer screen. You can't see their face that person's got a life and that person has a family and that person has friends and they've got emotions and they've got a day to go about. You know, you never know how that might affect that person. And the comments under that Twitter post that you were referring to with the statement, I think kind of proved that men's football isn't ready for that yet. And that sucks because, Mm. you know, I don't have to worry about being attacked for my sexuality or my skin colour or my gender. But football's not for me. Yeah. It really is for everyone. And the more that you limit who it's for, just the less fun it is. Yeah. Do you know what? It's not fun being that hateful. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of effort. It does. And I'm sorry to get a bit preachy about that, but I see 
I see it sometimes and I just think, this is so pointless. Imagine having an agenda being like, no, you shouldn't be gay and playing football. Or like, what about in the dressing room? Or like, oh, what if a woman manages a men's team? Like, what happens in the dressing room? But if you, heard, like, if you heard that amazing, like, James Baldwin quote, though, it's like, people hate because if they stop hating, they'll be forced to deal with pain. And people build, the problem is, Ryan, people have built personalities on, on their hatred of who should be and who shouldn't. Gay footballers and the stereotypes around it, like, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, this is our thing. Quite a big account with, with quite a few thousand followers got suspended because one of their comments under that tweet was, the quote tweet was, um, yeah, football's on the few things that hasn't been taken over by the Rainbow Brigade or something. The Rainbow Mob. Sorry, fuck that. Fuck that. That's a common attitude. Taken over by what? I have no say on what happens within football. I have no, I have no say who it's for. As a straight white guy, none of us do. Yeah. Like, not being able to play football based on something other than your, like, ability that is harming nobody. Sorry, man. Fuck off. Agree, dude. Like, uh, we, we play football, right? You know, would I have any problem being in a dressing room, going in a shower, naked, with a guy on my football team who was homosexual? Would I fuck? Because that, like, this is the thing that, like, this is big straight white dude energy, right? They assume that every, you know, gay guy is going to hit on them or something like that. It's like, shut up. To be honest, some of them are disappointed when you don't. Exactly. It's a, this is it, man. I was, work, I was working at a law firm a few years ago. I was working at a law firm. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd camp this up a yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, someone had, someone had to do it. And there, was, um, there were a couple of incidents where one guy, so someone knew I was out. Well, he knew that I was out to some people. He would basically like taunt me. So I'd play football with these like silver Nike Astros in the training ground. He'd be like, oh, silver boots, that's quite girly. And he would always make references in training sessions to like my sexuality. And it was really nasty. He would basically use my sexuality against me because he knew there were a lot of homophobic people at that law firm. Well, one of our biggest clients had a really homophobic director. And so he would use my sexuality to bait me. And it was really, really messed up. Like I'd be in a training session, we'd be talking about something and he would just say it. And he just watched me squirm because he knew like I was worried about being outed. Mm. And the tables kind of turned after a while because people clocked what he was doing. And I actually called him on it. I was like, what do you mean, girly? And he went bright red and left the bar. And that was the last time he mentioned it. Like he left the, he walked out of the bar, like in, in, mm. in fear. But there was one occasion when a friend came up to me and he was like, well, a friend, I say, was an acquaintance. And he was joking about my sexuality. And I said, you do realize that I'm out of your league. And his face went like, because he'd never encountered the possibility that I was like, dude, like, if you were gay, like, you wouldn't stand a chance. Like, I'm not, I said, no offense, dude, but like, you're not the guy. Like, you're not the one. Like, it's not, it's, it wouldn't play out like that. He stepped back and to his credit, he was like, oh, I, I don't know how I feel because I, I don't want to want you, but I want to be wanted. I was like, there you go. There you go. There you go. You want to be, that's, this is just. And that is it. That's it. You want to be wanted. <laughs> what a clown. <laughs> so yeah, that's our, that's our long answer to your short question. No, I'm glad we did that though. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it needs to be said, you know, we're two dudes doing a football podcast. One of us is a bisexual black male. The other one is a straight white male. Sounds like and- I'm blackmailing people. It's bisexual black male. <laughs> <laughs> bisexual black male. Great name for a band. Great name for Moose's Moose's four chat account. <laughs> Subreddit. Um, before we move on from that point now and wrap up, I'd like to mention your piece that you wrote for the brilliant Caracom magazine. Hey, um, shout out to Callum Jacobs at Caracom. Shout out to Callum Jacobs runs this amazing magazine called Caracom out of the UK, where the Black British identity and football intersect, and honestly cannot recommend it enough. Um, I'm not sure if they still have physical issues of one and two available, but they do have the digital issues. So if you go to caricom.uk and you want to check that out. Um, also though, we do have a copy of issue two. We'll give that away and my, on the next one. And my essay's in that about playing for Stone, Stonewall Football Club. Yeah. Yeah, which I was going to get onto. Sorry, my bad. So Musa wrote, yeah, Musa wrote an essay about playing for the Stonewall Football Club. And uh, it's brilliant. Go and buy the, the digital copy and you can read it straight away. And maybe we'll have a little think about a competition. 
Should we do a competition? We haven't done a competition before. Yeah, right. It's my, if we can't win something, maybe other people can. So let's... Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I already have a copy of this and I got a second one off, Car- uh, off Callum originally for something we were going to do ages ago, which we never ended up doing. So yeah, we'll have a little think about it and uh, we'll, we'll come up with a little quiz question and we'll announce that on Thursday and then we'll maybe announce the winner next Monday. It's one of my favourite things that Moose has ever written and I wanted to shout it out because it's massively relevant to this topic. Oh, thanks. I might share it again, actually, now you've reminded me. Yeah, well, well we can share it in a tweet of, under, if you go to Stadio on Twitter, we'll share it in a tweet underneath that as well. Great stuff, yeah. But let's get out of here because we've been recording for ages. We have, we have indeed. We hope you're all staying safe and well, wherever you are. Look after yourselves. If you want to kill a couple of hours of your day or put some music on in the background, don't forget to check the Soul and Disco Stadio sessions mixalar.com forward slash stadio you'll find it in the show reel there we've also tweeted the link Moose is on Twitter at Aquanga. I'm on Twitter at Ryan Hun if you want to follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football stadio.football is our website or check the ringer.com forward slash soccer and anything else I need to shout out any other mention no, I think we're good uh, we're playing out this week with a little cult favourite I haven't even told you yet oh my god by our good friend Martin oh shout out the great M-A-R-T-Y-N uh, this is this track's from I think 2008 it's a track called Velvet so if you listen to this on speakers crank it it's got some very very heavy sub we'll be back on Thursday we will indeed see you then <laughs>